Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. Thank you so much for however you are listening to us, whether it's on Stitcher, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Apple, uh, however you take in podcasts. We are very grateful that you're making GBB Live a part of your podcast experience and a part of your Memphis Grizzlies experience. Same thing goes with grizzlybearblues.com, the blog that I am very fortunate to be the site manager of, part of SB Nation, of course, over at grizzlybearblues.com. Ways to get in touch with the show, you can follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow me on Twitter if you so choose, at Joe Mullinax. Again, I am the site manager of SB Nation's grizzlybearblues.com. My co-host, who's not able to join us on this episode of the show, Mr. Parker Fleming, associate editor over at GBB with me. You can follow him on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. And then, of course, if you want to follow the blog, great content on the Memphis Grizzlies coming out just about every day. Lots of good recaps of the Grizzlies, you know, complete destruction of the New Orleans Pelicans on Tuesday night on national television. It's nice to actually be able to say that for once. Uh, You can check all that out on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. I'm very excited for our guest on this episode of the podcast. He does a remarkable job as an NBA staff writer for Sports Illustrated. Uh, He's the co-host of the Open Floor podcast. He wrote an amazing piece on John Morant that I can't uh, stress enough. You should go check out if you haven't already done so. Welcome to the light. It was uh, Sports Illustrated's daily cover, I believe, on Tuesday. Um, He just really nailed it. It's always nice when national writers get the Grizzlies. It's not a guarantee, uh, but Mr. Michael Pena certainly does. Uh, Michael V. P-I-N-A on Twitter. Michael, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing wonderful, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. And forgive me if I mispronounced that. I should have asked that before. Is it is it Pena? Pena. 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 See, there you, you go. Close. No, you no, close. no accent. See, I <laughs> I always get thrown off when I'm looking at because if it has an accent or not. So that's my mistake. Uh, Michael Pena. Thank you, Michael, for joining us. It is much appreciated. So, Michael Pena, let's talk about your piece. And again, it's over at SI.com. Sports Illustrated has obviously changed a little bit over the years. But I thought one of the best compliments that I saw for this piece was from somebody else who's been on GBB Live in the past, Mike Prada, who uh, used to write for SB Nation, does his own thing now with Prada's Pictures. Um, He said that this article read like when you were a kid, and I could relate to this because I would do this. You get the Sports Illustrated magazine. It has an awesome cover photo, which this one does with John Morant jumping over Anthony Davis uh, of the Lakers. It says, welcome to the light, really cool font, Grizzlies colors. You would cut out the cover, you'd put it up in your room, you'd read it over and over again. I thought that was a perfect description. Congratulations on the piece. It really is fantastic. Uh, Welcome to the light on John Moran. Just give people an overview. If they haven't checked it out yet, again, you should go check it out. Um, So maybe not a spoiler, but just a general overview of maybe what inspired you to write this piece and what kind of came about your, uh, your pursuit of it. Well, first of all, that's very kind of you to say I also was someone who would cut out covers um, and hang them over my bed like a total psychopath growing up. So one in the same and shout out to Prada as well. Um, yeah, so it's long story short, um, before the season began, I was looking at uh, I was looking at Zion Williamson and I was looking at John Morant as two guys who I was really looking forward to watching this season. I anticipated third year leaps from both of them. Um, and it was about a week before the season began, maybe two weeks before the season began. And my editor came to me and he was like, um, 
what do you got coming up this week? Any ideas for, you know, columns, just a basic analysis piece. And I was like, hmm, you know, I want to maybe preview this season by writing about either Zion or Ja and just talk about the, the anticipation of their third year and what could be possible. Um, I basically flipped a coin and made the brilliant decision to go with Zion. Uh, (laughs) It worked out really well. Yes. Wrote a glowing piece about how, you know, uh, coming off this sophomore season that is historic, like the sky is the limit for him. Um, You know, just there was no hyperbole. If you go back and read that on what was possible for the Pelicans and for Zion. And then the very next day, uh, David Griffin came out and said that Zion had surgery. And I was just like, um, that's great. I'd be nervous right now then. Should I be nervous that you're jinxing us with your incredible writing? We have the joy of this amazing article, (laughs) but you know, something might happen to John the next day or so. What have you done to us? No. So, you know, I looked at it with a glass half full and I was like, I still have Ja to to write about um, at some point and maybe it can be uh you know a little bit more there can be a little bit more depth to it and uh a little bit more reporting and we'll see how the first few weeks of the season go for him the first month of the season and then see if that's something that i want to pursue he obviously has this incredible um opening week where he's just the story of the league uh just destroying everybody and so i start reporting start making some calls to to people who used to work for the Grizzlies who work for the Grizzlies now and I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty deep into it in mid November we're going into late November and he has that injury non contact uh against the Hawks day after Thanksgiving and you know my heart just drops for a variety of reasons one Watching him play has been one of the great joys of observing the, this NBA season. Two, I thought that the story was just dead and over a month of work was going to get flushed down the toilet. Um, and then something interesting happened where, you know, I am trying to figure out, okay, how serious is this? When is he going to come back? What's the timetable? Can he still make the all-star team? Um what is what's possible for Ja for the rest of the season? And so you talk to people who know him very well throughout that time, and they're all like, this is, you know, this could have been bad, but it's Ja. And if you know Ja, he beats, there's no such, there's like timetables are just a thing. Like they don't exist for him. So I'm like, okay, like I'll believe it when I see it. Comes back and is just the easily the best point guard in the NBA. Uh, not only does he make the all, his first all-star team, obviously starts, gets a million more votes than Luka Doncic. And the shape of the article is, is now changing to, okay, this isn't really a third year leap anymore. Like a traditional okay, incremental growth type of situation with him. This is now someone who is, you know, look at how the Grizzlies uh, have played as a team. This is a championship contender. This is the best player on a championship contender. Um, This is someone who 
might be the face of the NBA before we're all, before it's all said and done and might replace Steph and LeBron with that type of responsibility. And the entire, like the, 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 the outline of what type of story I was writing was constantly shifting and changing and um, the possibilities of, of what he was doing on the floor it seemed seemed it felt to me almost every night like he's just getting better and better and better and when i was in memphis reporting the story i went down for a homestand in january and the first game that i saw in person was against the warriors that game where on national television you know he walks into the stands after basically clinching the game and stares down a kid in a steph curry jersey that was fantastic it, it was and it was just like okay this dude is uh, i feel like that game um my perspective on it was that was when the entire there were people were paying attention to him before that for sure um i feel like the respect level for the memphis grizzlies and for him because of the team that he beat even though draymond did not play in that game um beating the warriors that were steph playing like a pretty good game and them being up for that game uh i thought that that was like a okay let's put the league on notice type of performance and it's just been up and up and up and up from there for him to the point where right before i filed the story and we had to close it for the magazine he has that performance against the spurs and it's like come on man like, <laughs> like are you kidding me with this so uh, yeah, it's just it, like the phrase that's so trite is the sky is the limit, but it's like there's never been more apt for an athlete in my lifetime. The interesting thing about John Morant, and all of that, by the way, was, you know, just fantastic in terms of Grizzlies fans who have talked themselves or had talked themselves into grit and grind and the beauty of the mud, so to speak. Uh, the, the darkness and light kind of contrast that you paint in the article. And again, I can't stress enough. John Morant, welcome to the light si.com. Check it out if you haven't already. Um, you really take that book, you know, the, uh, the, the book about the darkness and the light and training in the dark to be able to achieve in the light. Uh, that is really something that the team has kind of taken on and made a mantra, the win in the dark book by Joshua Metcalf and Lucas Jaden. Um, the idea of training and preparing in the dark so that when the light is on you, you're ready. That is a very Memphis idea, I think. And that's one of the reasons that Morant really resonates in Memphis, even beyond his obvious athletic ability. He's the most talented basketball player you know, the Grizzlies have certainly ever had at this stage. Uh, you know, he has the potential to be one of the all-time greats in the NBA. That's pretty clear. Uh, at 22 years old, he's doing things that, you know, Oscar Robinson and Michael Jordan have done. And when you're in that context, things are going pretty well for you. Uh, but I think that the, the, the thing that makes it perfect, you mentioned Zion earlier. Zion to New Orleans always felt like Zion's trying to accept New Orleans or New Orleans is trying to, you know, cater to Zion in terms of making Zion want to be there. Whereas John Morant in Memphis, and you were there for a few days, I lived there for a few years, a long time ago, but you get to Memphis, you feel the vibe of that city, the soul of the place, you learn about it. 
John Morant's backstory from being in side gyms in South Carolina all the way to Murray State, going into the NBA with a chip on his shoulder, the Grizzlies in general, which we'll talk more about in the next segment, share that chip. You know, I, I feel like what makes this even more special and unique is how it's not just the way that he's playing. It's the way that, once again, Memphis seems lucky enough. Grit and grind certainly fit the, the way that the city worked with Mark Gasol and Zach Randolph and Tony Allen and Mike Conley. This, just a few years later, feels like a 2.0 upgraded version where you're not sacrificing what Memphis represents in the mentality of the city. It's just a better version of what's possible comparable to that last era. Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the most unquantifiable, valuable parts about John Morant is his personality. It's magnetic. He's beloved by everybody. He's a messianic figure in Memphis for just being one of the most authentic professional athletes alive right now. He's humble. He's loyal. Um, I think these qualities really endear him to Memphis. I think that's, that's obvious. He's, he's obviously a great player. Um, but it's like, it's almost like, it's just like, as you said, and this has been written about before in a lot of really great places and by, by great writers, the match of city and an athlete is, is so ideal and makes so much sense. And the contrast with Zion, I mean, that was, as you're reporting the story like this, like that is said, um, multiple times to you and pointed out in in multiple ways by many different people who some work for the Grizzlies, some uh, used to work for the Grizzlies, some are just league observers. Um, And it is, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's glaring for sure. I, I almost liken it actually to like, in, in terms of being beneficial, it's like, Maybe this is just on my mind because of the show on HBO right now, but like Magic Johnson going to the Los Angeles Lakers. It's like that's kind of the perfect player skill set for the perfect organization and city at that time. And it's like not hyperbolic to suggest that John Moran in Memphis is something similar. Right? It's like it just isn't. Um, and it is truly special. Um, what is happening, what they are, um, what is fermenting there is, I mean, you have the coaching staff, you have the front office, you have all of the role players buying into the star, the star recognizing that he is um, incredible, but also very rarely pointing the finger at anyone else when they make mistakes. And when he does, point the finger elsewhere in a film session or at a practice or a shoot around or during a timeout, it's received um, without wrinkles because everybody around him knows that he blames himself. Um, He's the first to hold himself accountable for any mistakes that he makes. So it's just, it's all very rare to find and it feels like uh, it's like fate, honestly, for him to be a part of the Memphis Grizzlies. 
fate is something that we like to believe that we specialize in. Only in the movies in, the, in Memphis, <laughs> uh, as uh, they, they used to say. Um, we're chatting here with Michael Pina. Uh, he does a great job uh, writing for Sports Illustrated. Follow him on Twitter, at Michael V P I N A. He does a fantastic job. Again, he wrote this tremendous piece, Welcome to the Light, uh, from Sports Illustrated, daily cover. Uh, like I said, the best compliment is if I was reading this in a magazine when I was a kid, I would have cut off the cover and, uh, and read it as it was taped on my wall. I thought that was really well put by Mike Prada. Uh, John Morant is unique. And you said that he was very clearly a moment ago, uh, you said that he was very clearly the best point guard in the NBA. That took me aback a little bit. Maybe in that moment is what you meant. So I'm going to ask for clarification because obviously you've got Luka Doncic, who especially in the second half of the season, has been phenomenal. You mentioned Ja got more than a million votes uh, over him for the All-Star game. But at the same time, it's hard to deny what Luca is when he's engaged and, and in shape, maybe, is the best way to put it. Luca enjoys uh, relaxing like all of us do that are mere mortals. Uh, Steph Curry obviously still exists uh, in terms of his three-point shooting. The Warriors have tailed off some of late, but as we'll talk about in the next segment, so have the Grizzlies a little bit. Uh, obviously the Pelicans uh, thumping that they delivered to the, to the Pelicans from Memphis, notwithstanding Memphis is four and four, very pedestrian in the last eight games, just a small part of the season. When you look at those three players in particular, because I think most folks would agree, those are probably the three best in the NBA. Only two of them are going to make the all NBA first team, right? As guards, which one is the odd man out in your opinion? I'm biased. I'm going to say that it shouldn't be jaw. You are much more on the national scale of things. When you look at those three names, unless they somehow change the way that it's structured, uh, who gets left off that NBA all, for, all NBA first team? Because there's, uh, those are three pretty darn good basketball players. Absolutely. Um, I'll say, yes, first to clarify, I will say that I was referring to after he came back from um, – the injury suffered uh, after Thanksgiving. So I think that was like, what, late December, I want to say. Um, he has that game against the Thunder where um, there's fans sitting courtside who say that he should sit back out. And then just after that performance goes on this absolute tear that is just uncanny and uh, absurd. To answer the question, I haven't dug deeply into the numbers here, but... I will say when it comes to first team all NBA, um, Ja did miss that time with the injury, but Luca's start to the season, like I don't want to have too much recency bias here with how well Luca played, particularly in February when I thought that that award was just to, uh, like a lock for Ja. And then you look at Luca's numbers and you're like, okay, yeah, they gave it to him. That makes sense too. Um, and how well the Mavericks have played of late, but like, it's funny to like kind of contrast like uh, coming into the season out of shape and your team kind of stinks because of it. And you don't necessarily, I know getting along with your teammates has nothing to do with all NBA, but like I kind of still hold that against Luca a little bit when we're just talking about like the slimmest of margins and the slimmest of reasons to um, pick, you can only pick two guys, as you said, and I would also throw Chris Paul in that before he got hurt. I think his name could have been mentioned in that discussion as well. 
and maybe DeMar DeRozan, if you consider him a guard, I don't know, it's whatever. I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but to answer your question, if I'm doing first team all NBA, um, it's John, it's Steph. And then I don't really, I'm not thinking too hard about it with those two. I think those two have had um, the most impressive bodies of work this season. And when I look back on the 2021-22 regular season, the first thing that I'll think of, maybe it's because I wrote this story, but the first thing that I'll think of is Jaws Rise and just this ridiculous ascent from him in a lot of ways, statistically, in the public conscious, the way he's basically transcended being an average NBA fan and who you want to watch. The fact that because of this season, the Memphis Grizzlies, the team with the smallest television market in the NBA, they're going to be all over national television next year. Like the, the Atlanta Hawks had what, 17 games, I think this year on national television. That's like, I, I don't, I'm not going to put a number on it. The Memphis Grizzlies are going to be all over national television next season. I guarantee that. So the first thing that I'll remember 10 years from now is this was the season of Ja, and it just makes a lot of sense to put him on first team all NBA for that alone. I like I like to hear that. That makes me very happy. Um, you know, it, it's always good because again, I I like to bring on national folks, and I say this every time I do because we we get in our Memphis bubble, right? And you feel like, is this really that awesome? Like, is this really that cool? And I feel like grit and grind might be a good example of that, right? I, I feel like people that follow the NBA really closely appreciated what that era was. Nationally, it wasn't appreciated the same way. Um, this is appreciated by everybody, which is really just exciting to see. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask Michael about his take on the Grizzlies as a whole. John Morant is awesome. We can all agree on that. What does it mean for the Grizzlies prospects? And especially as the playoffs start, uh, what players matter most for them to take this regular season success and apply it to the playoffs? Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, the Grizzly Bear Blues Live. We're going to jump right back in here uh, talking with the great Michael Pina, uh, Pina, excuse me, uh, Michael V. Pina on Twitter, P-I-N-A, and an NBA staff writer for Sports Illustrated, co-host of the Open Floor Podcast. He's an excellent writer. We talked about his piece that he wrote on John Morant. Welcome to the light. Uh, Just a tremendous article. Can't recommend it enough over at SI.com. But now I'm going to get your take on the Grizzlies' playoff hopes in general because as we speak right now michael we are looking at a team that is in a spot that nobody really had them even the most optimistic grizzlies fan and supporter media member wouldn't have said that they're going to be you know technically the second best record in the nba i think is what they are at this moment Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe the miami heat are a little nope the grizzlies are 0.005 in front so the memphis grizzlies literally have the second best win percentage in the entire National Basketball Association. That's crazy to say out loud. They are the two seed in the Western Conference. Uh, They are only a half game in front of the Warriors. So obviously that's in flux. But they're three and a half in front of Utah now for the three seed. It seems pretty likely that Memphis is going to hang in tough there. But they have weaknesses, right? They are one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the NBA. Their half court offense is suspect. Uh, Their three point shooting, uh, it's probably improved some percentage-wise, after what they did to the Pelicans on, uh, on Tuesday night. But they are still not sound 
in terms of how they play in the half court consistently. And obviously competition gets tougher as the playoffs begin. Uh, the Grizzlies would play the winner of the 7-8 game in the play-in right now. Let's just say that's the Minnesota Timberwolves for fun. A 2-7 series with Minnesota probably goes the Grizzlies' way in five or six games. But now you're looking at playing Golden State, and that's when things would get a little bit tougher, assuming Golden State gets past Denver as it currently stands. Um, but if the script is flipped and Memphis is the three seed going against the Denver Nuggets, I'm not sure how confident I am saying these Grizzlies potentially with Jamal Murray, potentially with Michael Porter Jr. Uh, for the Nuggets, and obviously Nikola Jokic, the reigning MVP, that could be a tough series. So I feel like there's a ton of variance. And I wrote about this for uh, grizzlybearblues.com uh, called kind of – we're looking at the state of play for the Grizzlies, remembering the state of the Grizzlies. And I talked about how even though they are technically the second or third best team in terms of record in the NBA – they are ninth best in betting odds to win the NBA championship. So there's a disconnect there in terms of where they are as a real contender compared to the realities of their young roster and the flaws that they have. So again, from your perspective, could the Grizzlies win an NBA finals? Sure. But for me, I think it's more probable that depending on matchup, they could lose in a tough first round series. Obviously I don't want that, but at the same time, is there any other team in the NBA in your opinion that has more variance between what they could do and what may actually happen than the Grizzlies as the playoffs approach? I mean, to answer that specific question, the Brooklyn Nets <laughs> probably the team. Yeah, that that's fair. A lot of variants. Because they, they um, might wind up being the eighth seed, and then the poor Miami Heat would have to play KD and Kyrie and Ben Simmons potentially. No, that's a fair point. Um, but it's like, no, you're, you're, you're spot on to say that about the Memphis Grizzlies. I 100% agree with you. I think that the, the matchups, like they, they have a lot to play for in these last, what are they like 18 some odd games left, something like that. Um, they have a lot to play for. Uh, they need, in my opinion, I mean, it's not like they can't beat the Mavs or they can't beat the Nuggets in a, in a first round series. I'm not going to say that. Of course they can especially with home court. Um, but you want the two seed if you're the Memphis Grizzlies. You want to play the Minnesota Timberwolves. You want to play a maybe a Clippers team that does not have Kawhi and Paul George. I don't know if those two guys are going to be available. Um, and you want to be able to, to build some momentum going on an actual run. I think stylistically there are a lot of question marks with this team. You named a bunch of them. Uh, you know, being 28th in three-point rate, 21st in three-point percentage, uh, 23rd, I think they are, in half-court offense. I'm going off the top of my head, so apologies. But um, I think these things are very important. Now, their, their crunch time offense is very good. It's top five, and John Moran is unstoppable. But typically in the playoffs, and the playoffs are just so different from the regular season. In the playoffs, like, you just – you do need – all due respect to Jaron Jackson Jr. and to Desmond Bain and to Dylan Brooks, like you do need a reliable go-to shot creator, shot maker. They they just they don't have one who's proven that they can do that in a playoff series to go alongside Ja, who will see he sees the kitchen sink every night as it is, but the defensive attention is just going to be absolutely absurd um, in the playoffs for him. And 
you factor in that they are the fourth youngest team in the NBA. They lost in five games to the Utah Jazz last year, competed in every game. Uh, Ja was terrific, but you rarely see a team make the leap from zero playoff wins to Eastern Conference finals or finals or championship, Um, particularly when no one was added to the roster who is meaningful. Um, So it, it feels like the future, the long-term future of the organization is incredibly healthy. This could be a dynastic, the, the beginning of a dynastic run for them. Who knows? It's possible. Crazier things have happened. Uh, this year, though, I'm a little bit more tepid in saying that they can get to the finals and win a championship. They remind me very much so of the 2014 Golden State Warriors, the team that pushed the San Antonio Spurs and were ultimately eliminated. Um, that is what I see from this year's team and a front office that, you know, I'm not going to say the front office is not confident about what this Grizzlies team can accomplish, but they felt no need to accelerate the timeline and push things ahead. They have um, potentially three first round picks in this year's draft to play with. They have cap space. They have basically everyone who's integral coming back into the fold. Um, they're going to re-sign Ja to a Supermax extension this offseason. Um, they have the foundation. And it's like this year, though, you know, winning a series, being competitive in the second round, maybe getting to the conference finals if the matchups break and everyone stays healthy and they catch a lucky break, a few lucky breaks. I could I could see them getting to the conference finals. There are teams, though, ahead of them in the West that I just have a little bit more confidence in, um, in terms of how they're built and how they play um, and being able to have success in the playoffs. Because I know I'm, I'm dragging on here, but in the postseason, like so much of Memphis's offensive success is not so much, but like transition basketball is a huge part of how they play. And it's like, if you eliminate, I don't know, five, six points per game from the, from open floor opportunities in the playoffs for them. It's just a different basketball team. So all this, I'm really fascinated to see. I'm really fascinated to see how Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain play in the playoffs. I'm fascinated to see if Jock can even go up to a higher level and who am I to doubt that. Um, but the West has a lot of really good teams in it. And I think matchups will be, will be critical for them. And the future is still extremely bright, regardless of what happens in this year's postseason. Yes. And that ties in perfectly with how I'll get you out of here on the GBB live question of the day. Every time I record a show or almost every time I do a question of the day poll, thanks to the over 170 folks that voted in this version, assuming that John Morant, Dylan Brooks, who we haven't really talked about as much, obviously he's going to be impactful for Memphis moving forward. Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., Steven Adams, somebody else who will be interesting to watch in the playoffs uh, because he's not much of a perimeter threat. Is he going to be able to be played off the floor potentially uh, because of his offensive limitations? He's very important to that half-court offense in terms of offensive rebounding for the Grizzlies. Tyus Jones, Brandon Clark, let's say those seven guys are in. I I kind of tricked – or not tricked, I led into uh, what I wanted the fans to do here. 
Uh, DeAnthony Melton won the poll, and the poll was which player is the next most important for the playoff rotation. DeAnthony Melton at number eight. That makes total sense. You look at the numbers. You watch him play. He fits next to Jaw really well. He has good length. Uh, his handle is a little bit suspect, but he's not a true point guard. He's a combo guard. He does a lot of good things for Memphis in terms of how they want to play. I wanted to see what would happen to the second vote getter here, and it split exactly the way I thought it would. Zaire Williams and Kyle Anderson both got 22% of the vote. Dead tie for the ninth man in a playoff rotation. And that leads back to what you were talking about a moment ago. If you're looking at the future, Zaire Williams, who has improved dramatically over the course of this season, is the guy that you play. If you're trying to win now and win in terms of playing defense and doing a lot of the things, creating extra possessions that has gotten Memphis to this point, Kyle Anderson is probably the answer. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you put Coach Jenkins' hat on here, Michael. What do you see Memphis doing with that ninth spot, assuming it's a nine-man rotation in the playoffs? Kyle Anderson, expiring contract, unique player, has really struggled offensively this year, but is still very good defensively, very versatile. Zaire Williams is raw, started really poorly this season, was probably the worst rotation player in the NBA to start the season, according to several numbers. Got hurt, comes back after his time in the dark, so to speak, and he is excellent, or at least much better than he was. Who would be your ninth man looking at this Grizzlies team? Is it Kyle Anderson or Zaire Williams? I mean, if I'm Taylor Jenkins, like I'm, I don't care about the future with regards to my coaching decisions. Like, I don't care that Kyle Anderson is an unrestricted free agent and a veteran relative to everybody else on the roster. I don't care that the front office is obviously very high on Zaire Williams' development. Um, and as you alluded to, win- to, and I, I'm glad that you – sorry to cut you off. I'm glad you agreed. No. This front office is not interested necessarily in terms of contending right now. They are not acting like a contending team. They're contending because they built a really good roster, not because they went out and made a contender in terms of adding that final piece. Right. Um, and I mean, yeah, Desmond Bain told me like, we're, yeah, we're very much ahead of schedule and that's fine. Um, but to answer your question, like if I'm Dale, if I'm Taylor Jenkins, I'm trying to win every game. I'm trying to, so a lot of this is matchup dependent. There could be a matchup where, the top of my head, I'm struggling to think of one, but like Zaire Williams is so valuable as like the twitchy, athletic, on-ball perimeter defender um, that in one of the games that I attended, which was against the the Warriors, like his on-ball defense against Steph Curry was tremendous. Like some of the, honestly, some of the best I've seen all season. It was like, it was one game and and guarding Steph Curry is not a one person duty, but it was, it was reminiscent of Mikhail Bridges, honestly. So watching it, like if I need to throw someone on, if I'm in a, in a, in a series against the Suns, let's say, and I need to throw, so I want to bother Chris Paul as much as possible. Like, yeah, I would probably look at Zaire Williams and I would give him um, an opportunity. And if it wasn't working out, then by, you know, after a couple of games, then you make a make an adjustment. Um, I think one of the, the benefits that Taylor Jenkins has with this team is 
the depth and depth typically isn't, um, you know, an advantage in the playoffs relative to just having a, a sturdy top eight, top nine, but he has options and there's no, it's like, there's nothing that's gluing him to either Kyle Anderson or, or Melton or, um, or Williams or anyone else off the bench. Um, like everyone on this team kind of understands their role. Everyone kind of fits into it. Um, they get how the, the Grizzlies want to play. They're very smart. And so I could, I'm not saying like he'll, he'll switch it up game to game, but I think it could be a little bit more fluid than locking yourselves into this rotation. And, and that's going to be it for us. I would agree completely. I compare it to a pitcher in baseball, having a change up for a fastball and, different kind of pitches that you set up. You can kind of mm-hmm. maneuver your lineup pieces depending on matchup, depending on all sorts of different variables. That's one of the benefits of depth if it's used properly. And I think that the experience the Grizzlies got against the Jazz last year will be very valuable in that way. Michael, thank you so much. I can't stress it enough, folks. It's one of the best things I've read all year. Welcome to the Light SI Sports Illustrated Daily Cover by Michael V. P-I-N-A, Pina on Twitter. Does a great job. Really big fan of your writing. I've really enjoyed this piece, and I'm so grateful that you're able to make some time for us here today. Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate it, my man. All right. So for Michael, I'm Joe. Make sure you're checking out on on uh, Stitcher, on Spotify, on Apple, on iHeart, on Google. However you can get a podcast, you can get this podcast, GBB Live. Make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing. Also make sure that you're listening to The Long View with my co-host Parker Fleming, listening to 3 and D with Ben Hogan listening to the starting five, which is an awesome podcast we have over on the GBB podcast network and make grizzlybearblues.com part of your Memphis Grizzlies experience as the playoffs approach here in the next few weeks. Thank you again to Michael. Thank you to everyone who is listening. I am Joe Molinax. Grind forth Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.